0: That's trinityschool.org. Trinity School of Natural Health. Transform your life. Transform the world. Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home. It's the place that brings family and friends together. It's where you're the best version of yourself. Picasso makes it easy to co-own a luxury vacation home in amazing locations. Listings start at 200k for one eighth ownership. Picasso does all the work for you.
1: Welcome to Money Making Conversation. I'm your host Rashawn McDonald. It is time to stop reading other people's success stories and start writing your own. I say that when I start all of my episodes. I always tell people to leave with their gifts, their passions, and don't let their age, friends, family, or coworkers stop them from planning or living their dreams. The book we're going to talk about today really, really aligns itself with that statement. My interviews provide the consumer and business owner access to celebrities, CEOs, entrepreneurs, and what I like to call industry decision makers. My next guest is is Jennifer Barrett. She's the Chief Education Officer at Acorns, a financial wellness app with more than 9.5 million users. She's a contributor for Forbes, and she has also written about money for publications such as the New York Times, the Washington Post, Worth, Money, and Newsweek, where she was a staff writer and editor. She's on the show to talk about her new book, Think Like a Breadwinner. Think Like a Breadwinner is a book everyone can learn from. I did, and, um, but it's geared towards women because according to Jennifer, women have been culturally conditioned not to think like breadwinners. This book truly is about being financially independent. Please welcome the Money Making Conversation. I'm gonna call her a good friend because before this interview, we were just <laughs> talking and talking and talking. Jennifer Barrett, how are you doing, Jennifer? <laughs> I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. I was just, you know, Jennifer, uh, we were just talking and talking. And I, I just feel really a, a certain kinship for you. Is that just a natural part of your personality that people just really. Uh, uh, gravitate to you?
2: I don't know. That's I don't. No one's ever asked me that before. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you for that. I do. I you know. I was a journalist for many years, and um, so I think I'm used to. I, I like to make people comfortable.
1: Well, you know, you, and you, I, do- I
2: really am genuinely interested in everyone I meet. So I think that, that probably comes across when you meet
1: me. Well, you, you're, you definitely are making me comfortable. I read your book, and mm-hmm. I, usually this is how I do. I, I read the book always the day of the interview. That's where the questions stay very fresh, very topical. I don't feel like I'm reaching for any information. Plus, mm-hmm. I also zero in on what really attracts me to the book. But before we get into the book, I, I read your title, Chief Education Officer at ACON. 9.5 million users. Please explain. Explain to us what exactly is Acorns and what exactly is your role as a chief education officer?
2: Sure. Well, I joined a, a little over five years ago, about, almost five and a half actually now. And one of the things that drew me to the company is I had been in financial journalist uh, journalism for years before that, and I sort of felt like we had been writing the same headline so often about how little people save and, and how they're not prepared to cover unexpected expenses, and then we're on the brink of this retirement crisis. And I was beginning to wonder if getting information out alone was enough, inspiration, information, if that was really enough to change people's behaviors. Um, and then I... My team, actually, I was a personal finance editor at CNBC, and my team had written a lot about these new fintech apps. And one of the things that really attracted me to Acorns was that it was such a simple but brilliant solution to a real barrier for so many Americans when it comes to investing. And that was the feature where we round up your purchases and literally invest your spare change. And I think what that does immediately is it removes so much of the fear that we have around investing, so much of these beliefs we have that you have to have a lot of money in order to invest, all of these things. Um, And so that's really what drew me to the company. And then I joined um, in a senior VP role, our VP role then senior VP, and then was um, promoted into the chief education officer Role and that essentially means I spend most of my time thinking about how to promote financial literacy, and to better educate not only our users, and we have around 9.5 million now, as you mentioned, but also everyone, you know, really thinking about how we can promote financial literacy in this country and just close that gap, close the wealth gap, close the financial literacy gap so that everyone has the opportunity to live the life that they want.
1: Well, we came off a really strange (laughs) year in 2020. You had people standing in line for food, you had unemployment at a record rate, you had this country shut down for two months. And then we had the highest increase of billionaires in the world. And stock markets set records during the summer. Uh, NASDAQ crossed over a number and it never crossed over in the history. Now being you the chief education officer at Acorns, a financial FinTech app, explain that to me, please. And my (laughs) listeners and viewers, please. (laughs)
2: Um, I mean, the simplest way to look at it is that the shareholder class got richer and the working class did not for the most part. Um, So people who were more dependent on a paycheck struggled more and people who uh, were more dependent on their investments, particularly in the stock market, um, did quite well because as you mentioned, the stock market has hit record highs, um, surprisingly, unless really given that we were in a recession last year and in a global pandemic. Um, But that's really the simplest way to look at it. And I think one of the I mean, there's so so much that we can learn from this pandemic, but one of the big lessons there is just the importance of getting in the game, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, and not depending solely on a paycheck, but really starting to use those paychecks to build wealth, even if it's Five, 10, 15, 20, you know, $50 a month, really getting in the habit of taking some money and starting to build that wealth so that you're less dependent on paychecks. And then of course, making sure that you're saving some money, you know, especially during good times, because I think what happens in this country is that if you look at the savings rates, when things are good, the savings rate goes down. Right. <laughs> and it's almost as if we think like the good days will just keep happening, mm-hmm. but that is exactly the time when you want to be putting more money into savings and investing, because, you know, maybe not a pandemic, I hope we never have to deal with that again, but, you know, recessions happen, you know, the economy goes in cycles. And so during the good times, you want to be preparing yourself so that you can weather the bad times too. And I think that was a big lesson of this pandemic too.
1: Well, you know, thinking about it, I'm doing a kind of a, an interesting way of getting into your book because that's what your book is mm-hmm. about. If you' if you're running, if you' if you if your ears are bleeding talking about the stock market, if your ears are bleeding talking about career options and oh. and, and uh, diversifying your opportunities to be successful, then that's what this book is all about. This book is because about stepping out of your comfort zone into a zone that can re- create basically financial independence. And it's recently I was, uh, I finally sat down and, you know, I've always just given my money to my my uh, my stock investor. He's putting in the way, you know, we have the conservative fund and we have the risky fund. I said, stop, stop. I want to invest <laughs> in uh, uh, Amazon. I want to mm-hmm. invest in Apple. I want to invest. I said, excuse me, it's my money. I want to invest Mm -hmm. in. I said. I said because I'm tired of you guys playing around with my world. So I try to take control of what I feel, a direction of where I want. I got my Disney stock. I got my Blackstone, Black uh, Black Rock stock. So Mm -hmm. and I got a little Chevron. And so I diversify me a little. uh, 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 Citibank and Visa, mm-hmm. some finan- financial stocks. So so that's really what we're talking about when this book. This is a book of mm-hmm. my awakening was I came out of the pandemic. I had this man, money sitting over there, and I had a guy just telling me what to do. I'm just saying a guy. It could be a female, too, who's handling mm-hmm. your stock. And basically, that's what Think Like a Breadwinner is all about. We go through life, whether you're male or female. In this particular case, is about females. And guess what? And we settle. We kind of settle for what we assume is the life we're supposed to lead. And unfortunately, when the curve hits or the bump in the road hits, the woman is not prepared. And you said that to yourself. You didn't hit a bump in the road, but you had a, uh, what they say, a, a revelation. <laughs> I did have a revelation. Yes. You know, uh, this this apartment that you was in was closing in on you when at yes. one time you thought it was it was all cool. You thought you were set. Talk mm-hmm. about that initial journey into your revelation, which has led to you be a success story in the financial market, but also to write this brilliant book called Think Like a Breadwinner.
2: Oh, thank you. Yes, I had my own wake-up call. And I think looking back, I was really fortunate because um, I had a wake-up call early in my life, um, early in my parenthood. And um, so I was able to make some changes and get on the right course. And I wasn't faced with you a know, really terrible situation. It was just a situation where my husband and I were in a small one-bedroom apartment with a toddler who was outgrowing his crib. Right. You know, and he was three feet from the bed. <laughs> and I really hadn't been paying attention to where we were. I was just sort of... Um, comfortable. I was a new mom. I was really focused on our baby. And, and one night I was up with him and I was pacing back and forth in our bedroom. I think any parent can relate to this, you know, trying to get him back to sleep. And I looked around and it really hit me. We're in an unsustainable situation. And, you know, all my life I had wanted kids you know, I really deeply wanted a second child. We, I loved where we lived in Brooklyn. I loved our neighborhood. We had this network and friends and I didn't want to leave. And I, we wanted a place of our own. And I realized in that moment that even though I thought I'd been doing a lot right, like I was covering half the bills, I had a little 401k, I had a little bit of savings, that I really wasn't making the kinds of money choices that would ensure that we could afford these things that were so important to me. And I, I, asked myself, why <laughs> had I not been making those those choices, taking that action with my money? And I realized that deep down, I had been depending on my husband to do all the financial planning for our future, because that's how I'd grown up. My dad had been the main or, or sole breadwinner for most of my childhood. And so I sort of grew up subconsciously expecting to depend on my partner for a lot of that. Um, so then I kind of asked myself, you know, after realizing that I sort of why was I thinking that? And then I asked, what if I had been raised instead to be the breadwinner? You know, what if I had grown up believing that I would be fully financially responsible for myself for life and probably a family too? Would that change the choices I made with my money? And the answer was a resounding yes. And so then the question was, okay, what do I do now? And that's really where it
1: started. Well, the, the interesting thing about it is that that's why I say, you know, I'm not going to take any weight. This is a brilliant book. But if you're a man, this happens to you. If you yeah. are a person who's going through life, you know, it's, it, just put, let me be an example. I went to went to college, uh, got my degree in mathematics, my mind in sociology, went to work for IBM. And, you know, I'm thinking this is my life, you know, and I yeah. eventually quit IBM and started a career as a stand-up comedian, which led to a lot of other great things in my life. But I I made that decision. You understand what I'm saying, Jennifer? I made that decision. And so this book is about telling you, don't be the person where the decision is being made for you.
0: And exactly. that's what happens
1: so much in the breadwinner conversation that you're talking about. I decided to leave IBM. So it means that I planned my exit. I had some money saved. That wasn't enough money, by the way. But I had some money saved because <laughs> I planned I was going to be a success in entertainment. So this is about thinking out of the box about yourself. And in some words, a lot of people use this word wrong, incorrectly selfish, because I think at some points you have to think about yourself. Talk about that whole process of thinking about yourself and outside of the revelation, because you have to be, you have to be selfish.
2: Well, you have to take care of yourself. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I don't necessarily, and I know some people do say that's being selfish um, but you really can't take care of anybody else unless you're taking care of yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I don't think of it as being selfish. I think I'm not in a position to really care for my family if I'm not caring for myself. Right. And that—that that is, you know, both the self-care aspect of it, but also financially. Right. And really, you know, to your point, what this came down to is like people are in different situations. But what it came down to was that I was depending on someone else to make sure the future that I wanted happened. I was relinquishing that responsibility to someone else. Mm-hmm. And, and I wanted to take back some of that control. I wanted to feel really secure that these things that were so important to me in my life came to pass. And that meant really confronting the underlying beliefs that had you know, informed the money choices that I'd made and then confronting these, these, you know, money things in my mind, like, am I, am I good with money? Can I do this? Am I, am I, am I capable of earning more? All of these kind of fears come up to the surface. When you start to say, I am going to take financial responsibility for my life. I can do this, right? Because that gives you such tremendous agency over your life. And it is an incredible feeling. And I know that a lot of people don't really get that message when they're growing up. It's not just women. But I do think culturally, <laughs> we are not conditioning women to really think of themselves as wealth builders, right, as being real providers of so being able to support the lives that they want and to support others' lives, too, and then really being given the tools to do that. And I think that's true of a lot of Americans. We do a really bad job of educating people about finances in this country. We have a ways to go. But I do think that the message that women get combined with that lack of education can do more damage. You know, So I think we have a wider gap to close as women. And if you look, really just step back and look at the data points there, women really are lagging men financially by almost any measure. And there's no reason for that. Right. There's really no reason for that anymore. Um, so I it's this book is really about like removing those internal barriers and overcoming the external barriers so that you can reach your wealth building, earning potential and, and have the life that you really want.
1: Well, you know the interesting thing about the book. I want to back up just a little bit, we and we're just going to bring race in just a little bit. This is a positive yeah. version of life. Well, you know, you have black women and you have white women, and you mentioned something about black women. Well, they were exposed to the uh, the breadwinner philosophy for decades. Explain about that, and then why white women have been been conceptualized by the Disney princess philosophy of living. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I think, um, and I talk about this in the preface, so I know that, um, you know, that the the breadwinning rates are much different Mm -hmm. depending on, um, you know, different races and different communities. So we know that, for example, you know, right now, overall, we have had this paradigm shift in the breadwinning model overall. So in more than 40% of households with kids under 18 overall, women are now the main or sole breadwinner. But if you look at the Latina community, if you look at the black community, that has been the case for a long time. um, And the numbers are even higher. But what I'm really talking about in this book is something that's a lot more universal, which is, you know, even if you sort of expect, oh, I may end up kind of taking care of myself and taking care of my family. I don't feel like as a culture, we are setting women up for success in that role. So it really doesn't matter where you come from. What I tried to do in this book was take the breadwinning lens and apply it to every aspect of your finances. So if you're really thinking like, what do I want in my life and what are the choices I need to make with my money and my career or my job path to support that? And then applying that lens everywhere, you really start to see there's such um, a dichotomy between the messaging that we're getting as women and what we really want to be doing if we want to be able to truly support ourselves. And that's everything from like credit where we're being marketed this message of like credit cards are a way to close the gap between this life that we can afford and the things that we want and that's not really it at all if you're looking at it as a bread runner and in the fullest sense you're thinking how do i build my credits so that one day i can buy a home and you're using in that instance you're leveraging credit To build wealth because most Americans have most of their wealth tied up in their homes. And if you can't buy a home, that really holds you back. So that's what I'm talking about. It's thinking, it's like, it's not just earning more. It's really thinking more expansively about your capabilities and the possibilities for your life.
1: Well, you know, the interesting thing about your book, first of all, You did did a fantastic job of laying out the blueprint of what you were trying to convey in this. And you do it very special with your interviews. And the reason I say it's very special with your interviews because you interview people to give examples. Because a lot of people, when they read a book like this, they'll say, I can't relate. Or that's not me. Well, 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 I'm sorry. She interviewed enough of you me's. That I'm pretty sure you're gonna find yourself in this book. Talk about that journey of finding the different people that you interviewed for the book. And did they did what was their takeaway? Did they learn something from the interview process that you brought to the table from there to the through the interview process that you brought to the table for them?
2: Sure. Um, Well, I definitely learned something from every single person I interviewed. And I interviewed over 100 women and Mm -hmm. I intentionally tried to find women from a whole diverse range of backgrounds from all over the country in a lot of different fields, making a lot of different incomes so that we could be pretty representative. So there Mm -hmm. are single parents, there are single women, there are same sex, you know, heterosexual couples, um, a really pretty wide range. Um, And I, I learned a lot from them. I really did. I um, learned a lot in every conversation. Um, And I I would like to think that it's, it was mutual too, because, you know, I'd spend like anywhere from an hour to five hours with each of them. And sometimes I'd come back to them, like during the pandemic, I went back to a lot of them to see how they were doing, how things had changed and really tried to incorporate that in the book as well. Um, But yeah, I think it's so important to have all these stories because I can only speak from my own experience, right? And look, I'm fortunate. I grew up in a middle-class, suburban household. My parents were professors. You know, I had a lot of privilege growing up, and I wanted to make sure that it wasn't just my story that drove the book. I could talk about my own experiences, but I really wanted to bring in a lot of different perspectives,
1: too. Well, that was important, because, again, like you said, you know, my perspective, I come from inner city, uh, six sisters, two brothers, my father mm-hmm. was a truck driver, mom didn't work. That's a totally different experience if I just wrote from that experience, and I could be very uh, very uh, global in my approach. Well, this is what you gotta do to be that. But when you brought mm-hmm. in the examples, and some of them are very memorable, I thought they had, they had an interview when you the, the, the lady who, was married to the guy who didn't want kids. And then she eventually mm-hmm. left him and she had her kids. She, yeah. And I, that type of independence is happening every day nowadays, mm-hmm. where if you try to do that the 60s, 70s, 80s, people would look down on you. But that level yeah. of independence for women are allowing them to do what you're asking them to do in this book, to step forward, be yourself. You can be independent. And that's this is all about being independent and not being dependent, correct?
2: Totally. And I when I talk about my own story, one of the reasons I think I was so fortunate is that as I started interviewing women, I heard incredible stories. People really opened up and they had suffered some really terrible things. I One woman had been in an abusive relationship and didn't think she could afford to leave. That was a true story. And I heard stories like that or I had stories of people who really wanted to have kids, didn't find a partner, hadn't saved up the money and panicked and didn't think they could afford to have a kid financially. And so they gave up something that was incredibly important to them. So I, I think about, you know, being stuck in a toxic environment, being stuck in an abusive relationship You know, having to feel like you have to give up something that's so important to you because you didn't financially plan for it, because you don't have savings, because you were so dependent on your partner or your paycheck that you feel like you have no choices. I don't want any woman to be in that situation. I mean, that's what really drives me, because as I started doing these interviews, I realized just how lucky I was that I wasn't in that kind of a situation when I had my wake up call. And now I looked back, you know, I talk in the savings chapter about, I looked back at some of the experiences I've had in my career. I mean, there I've had some serious sexual harassment experiences early in my career. And I think I put up with some things because I didn't have the savings. And in other cases, I had the safety net of my parents or I had savings and I didn't put up with things. Like I was able to, to walk out of a job after a particularly bad incident because I had my parents, because I had a little bit of savings. Imagine if I hadn't, you know, and that's what I started to think about is like, imagine if you are so dependent on your paycheck or a partner that you can't afford to leave. That is a terrible situation. I don't want anyone to ever be in that situation. So that's part of this book too, is really just like, you know, preparing yourself, not only to support the life you want, but ensuring you're never stuck in a situation that you don't want.
1: Well, you know, more importantly, uh, I'm talking to Jennifer Barrett. She's the author of this wonderful book, Think Like a Breadwinner. And it's an eye-opener for me as a male. It's a book that's uh, that's geared toward women, a female point of view, a wake-up call for women to understand how they should gain. Let me just put it this way. Women in general start making your decisions for yourself. In other words, stop rolling into what the, you feel is, this is what I'm supposed to do. This is the life I'm supposed to be living. And that's what this book does for me. I, at the beginning of my show, I always talk about leave with your gifts and don't let your age, friends, family, or coworkers stop you from planning to living your dreams. And basically, that's what this book is telling you. You know, yeah. look in the mirror and look at yourself and be at, be dependent on yourself. And we talked about it off air, but you, that when you start talking about marriages, you say, Rishon, I'm gonna just say she talked to me like this, Rashawn, because I read it from the book. I felt like she was talking to me, y'all. Okay, she said, Rashawn, fifty percent of the people get married, and they know it ends in the divorce, but they don't care. They don't. They don't. They don't plan for the possibilities that it might end in the divorce. If you were given that number, fifty percent, on anything that you do in a daily life, if you were heard it was fifty percent chance of rain, you would probably take an umbrella. If you heard the the temperature was going to drop, fifty percent chance we was going to drop under forty degrees, you would take a coat. But when it comes to marriage, We have such a naive approach to it, like won't happen to me. And when it does happen, there's no preparations. So with that being said, how does one shift from the from the person who's being taken care of to the breadwinner? How does that how do they make that shift?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it starts with looking at your income and being very realistic about is the income I'm earning supporting the life that I want. And then, and I know this is really hard and because I've interviewed people and so many of our Acorns users are in this position too, because a lot of people feel like they're living paycheck to paycheck. And I certainly did when I had my wake up call and we're thinking we don't have any money to save or invest. Like we're barely getting by, but you don't need to put a lot of money aside. It's just so important to get into the habit of using your paycheck, using each paycheck to be less dependent on your next paycheck. And what I mean by that is using, Anything you can from that paycheck you get to put into savings, high yield savings, to put into the stock market and bonds and start investing that money so it can grow for you, because that's how you break the chain, right? That's how you break your dependence on every single paycheck, how you break the paycheck to paycheck cycle, how you build real wealth. When I'm talking about wealth, I think we have this notion of wealth as being like I don't know, McMansions and yachts Mm -hmm. and all these things. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about having enough money growing in the background of your life by investing it, that you have the money to make choices in your life, that you have the money to, you know, to, Go back to school if you want or go to school if you want. You have the money to start a business if you want to. You have the money to travel, to buy yeah. a home, all of these things, you know, they require more than you're usually making in a paycheck. And so it's so important to get into that habit. I don't think mm-hmm. women, especially, we are, we are not encouraged to be wealth builders. We are not encouraged to say, I want to make money, earn money. I want to make a lot of money. You know, mm-hmm. we are not encouraged to think that way, or even to consider that we're good investors when the, the research actually shows that we're better investors than right. men often. Right. We get good returns. So that it starts with that. And then it starts, you know, obviously you don't want credit card debt. You want to be building your credit Um, You know, all of these things. And you want to be really thinking strategically about your job path or your career so that it's not just what am I making now, but what am I going to make next year, five years from now? How do I take the steps now to set myself up, you know, to earn more? I remember listening to Ash Cash talking about he was a bank teller and already had dreams of being, you know, a bank manager of -hmm. of moving into an executive role. He was thinking three steps ahead. And Mm -hmm. that's how you have to think is, am I doing the things right now that, that are going to set me up? so that I have the role I want to have in two years, five years down the road.
1: Well, you know, you have to think, if you don't think about the future, and we have a general tendency to think every 30 days of paycheck to paycheck, and if you think like that, you really don't see the potential pitfalls that can happen, and I think that in the beginning of the books, when you, you were kind of like paycheck to paycheck, and then oh, yeah, one day yeah. you just woke up. And I was went,
3: thinking like that. Right,
1: yeah. you woke up, you know, something? this paycheck to paycheck is not going to work out, because uh, I am in a one bedroom and I'm looking at my baby and my baby's growing paycheck to paycheck. And so that, that awakening that made you move forward. With that being said, you know, we have so many barriers, you know, when we think about athletics for women and you there's a, there's a, you know, title nine to have yeah. women have uh, equal sport participation in colleges. And right now we hear about situations in soccer, trying to eat tennis and professional sports. But when it comes to academics, I'm, I'm talking about the mm-hmm. the learned world, executives, we know there's a chauvinistic philosophy that's stopping women from getting equal pay. And yep. so that, like you said, you, you was in some uncomfortable situations where you had to leave. And when you think back on certain situations, you, you took some stuff that you probably shouldn't have taken in job environments. How would that being said, I know it's not going to happen overnight, And I'm not trying to get you to go there, even this conversation. But this book allows me to at least open up the eyes for the reader to say, hey, start thinking about the possibilities. And that really is the basis of this book, the possibilities. And shape those possibilities into opportunities, and then opportunities turn into goals. Is that the right strategy I'm putting in place about your book?
2: 100%. It starts with having a vision for what you want in your future, and then thinking about what you can do to get there. Um, And planning that strategy and taking it step by step, you know, it took me a few years to get on the right track, but that's, you know, that it starts with asking yourself, what do I want in my life? Not what can I afford right now in my life? Not what do other people expect from me in my life? What do I want in my life and how can I make it happen? And that gives you such a sense of agency when you start taking the steps to make it happen. And the other, you know, the other thing that you pointed out is that look, if we look at the numbers Women are lagging men on every financial measure right now. So Mm -hmm. if you just do the status quo, like if you just (laughs) fall into that, that's where you're going to end up. Mm -hmm. So you have to actually stop and say, no, wait, that is not how I want it to go for me. I don't want to get paid less than the guy down the hall. I don't want that. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be passed over for a promotion. You know, these are very real barriers. And so it's important for us to be aware of them, but then also think about, okay, What am I gonna do so I get that promotion? So for example, we know there's research out there that shows that women are more likely to pick up what's called office housework or non-promotable work, where the ones like organizing the meetings or cleaning the conference room or whatever it is, and that people are more likely to ask women to do that. That doesn't mean we need to say yes. You know, (laughs) we can be nice about it, Mm -hmm. but we don't need to fall into some of these traps. And I think the first step there is awareness. Like if you are aware that this is happening, and you say, no, wait a second, I don't want this to happen to me, mm-hmm. then the question is, okay, what steps are you gonna take so that that doesn't happen to you? Because you want your life to go on a different trajectory. And I'm sitting here 12 years later telling you that is entirely possible. You know, I'm not saying it's always easy, but it is entirely possible to say like, mm no, this is not me. I don't wanna be making, you know, 18 cents less or more, you know, than, than the white man down the wall. <laughs> it's I just not the- gonna the- be me, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but then you have to be aware of that, and then you have to think about, okay, what do I need to do to make sure I get that promotion? All right, I'm going to track every single thing I'm doing for this company and look at how it's supporting this company. And when I come in there and ask for that promotion or that raise, I'm going to have numbers. Right. Because numbers don't lie. It takes the emotion out of it. It's really hard to argue with numbers.
1: You know, so so like, th- a lot of this is the approach. You know, I, I want to say this. Uh, you know, we're in that era you hear that term council culture. and Because uh, mm-hmm. so many people are finally speaking up, finally saying, look, I deserve to be recognized for my work, for my pain. Yes. And I don't want this book to become a victim of that thought process of counseling. Oh, they, oh women, they should be satisfied. They should, they should be happy being at home. They should be happy taking care of because your book is brilliant. I'm just going to be mm-hmm. honest with you. I've read it. And, and I started reading it again because we missed our first interview. And I was just so moved by the, you know, do not wait till your mid thirties. That's a theme in this book. In the mid thirties, these women are starting to wake up. Wake up at 19, wake up at 16, wake up mm-hmm. at 21. Don't wake up in the mid thirties. And then you, then that's what happens. You get in that trap because age starts to come in. You go, can I make a, can I pivot? And sometimes people don't care if you can't pivot, they're going to pivot for you and kick you to the curb. And so that's the mm-hmm. wonder of this book is that don't let age stop you. Don't let yes. allow yourself to wait too late, but more importantly, Read books like this and it will focus you early. Give it to your daughter. Allow her to have a sense that she can be independent. It's all right to have a freedom of thought. It's all right to think about themselves. It's all right to focus on financially independent being financially independent. Wonderful book, Jennifer. I'm really glad we was able to pull this interview off because you are amazing. Thank you. Oh.
2: Thank you so much. I really appreciate that, and I had
1: such a good time with you today. Good. I'm glad because I had a good time reading. It. You made me smile, and I hopefully I made you smile just thinking about some of the fun parts of the book. But again, thank you for coming on Money Making Conversations. All
2: right. Thank you.
1: If you want to hear more interviews or see more interviews on Money Making Conversations, please go to moneymakingconversations.com. I'm Rashawn McDonald. I am your host. Please buy this book. <laughs>
3: Noom Weight uses psychology to help people everywhere learn about their eating habits. Eating is my love language? Yep, sure is. Ah, I say yes
2: to seconds out of guilt. It's hard to say no to Aunt Jenny's banana pudding.
1: Wait, I do what?
2: Oh, fog eating happens to everybody. What the? We know. It can be a lot to take in. But with the help of Noom Weight, you'll learn the psychology behind your eating habits, how to change them, and get closer to reaching your weight loss goals. Sign up at Noom.com.
1: The Black Effect Presents features honest conversations and exclusive interviews. A space for artists, everyday people, and listeners to amplify, elevate, and empower Black voices with great conversations. Make sure to listen to the Black Effect Presents podcast on iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.